You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. My name is Brenna Rubio. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. So just a big welcome to all of those who are here in Lafayette Auditorium today, but also to our friends on Zoom. Thank you for being with us. And it is going to be a good Sunday. Obviously, it's a Sunday where there's a lot going on. Um, Where Yesterday, we had Lunar New Year. uh, And now today, I'm not so much into these things, but I have heard there's some sort of sports event (laughs) happening today. I think of it more as the day where my husband makes a lot of guac and ribs. But I know some others of you, you know, there's some other excitement happening. Um, But thanks for being with us. We're really glad to be here all together. Uh, We love praying over our kids. We think our kids are awesome. So before we give them a chance to go out for some story and crafts and fun, our friend Serena Bakru is going to come up and, and pray for them and pray for all of us. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Speaking of kids, for, what, three minutes, I couldn't find my own. So I'm glad that they're over there sitting and (laughs) reading in this quiet space. I'm like, where's my child? Um, So, yes, God, thank you for our children. God bless them. Keep them safe. (laughs) Um, We're just so thankful that we're all here this morning um, and our children are here. And even the children who are not, um, just look after them. Keep them um, in your hands, um, keep them safe, keep them fully loved, and even the the people who are around them, um, I pray that they show them kindness and love um, and a lot of care. I know that this week is Valentine's Day, but you have the greatest love, um, and I hope we all feel it, and our children especially. Um, Thank you, God, in all you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, kids, if you want to go have some fun with our fearless leaders, you're welcome to come over to the door uh, and head out with them for crafts and story and all the good things. And now, if you would welcome up Bill White. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, hi, I'm Bill White. I'm the other co-pastor. My pronouns are he, him, and it is so nice to be with you guys today. We are wrapping up a sermon series called Freeing Jesus, where we've been looking at some of the ways that our culture and our churches and our own souls have kind of shrouded Jesus and and wrapped him in a lot of things that maybe he doesn't fit best with, and trying to set Jesus free to be who Jesus really is. So um, it's been a lot of, uh, it's been very exciting. Um, And so we're going to end with the bang today and talk about freeing Jesus from white supremacy. So yeah, so there you go. Um, And so if you would welcome with me my dear friend Barack Bomani, who's going to preach with me today. Come on down. What's up, nice people? Good morning. So some of you have heard Barack before. When's the last time you preached here, Barack? It's been a minute. It was back in the pandemic? I think so, yeah. A year, two years ago? 
Yeah. It's been so, a minute. It's been a minute. And then and then we're like, let's not have him back for a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a little much. Maybe so. <laughs> Actually, that was like one of the most popular sermons that we've ever had. Which is so I was like, yeah, let's definitely not have him back. <laughs> oh man. All right, let's see. I think I probably have some notes in here. There they are. Um so we're white supremacy. Boy, that I mean, it, it's a little on the loaded side. You think? <laughs> <laughs> For some of us more than others, huh? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, man. Y'all oh. can relax. <laughs> it's okay. I like white people. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. So it's, it might feel a bit more like a podcast today. Um, Barack and I have been friends for a long time. We've known each other for, oh, I don't know. At least, what? Well, well 14 15 years. years 15 like years, it, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, when he, uh, funny story, so when he was thinking about getting engaged to uh, oh, uh, a friend of mine, <laughs> remember that conversation? Oh, my, yes. I'm like, who is this man? Because <laughs> yeah, Sarah's a good friend of mine, and so we had and a little you, sit down. And you know Bill, real <laughs> subtle. <laughs> uh, so who are you, and what are your past sins? <laughs> I did ask you your complete sexual history, I believe, in that conversation. It was right, real it was right. it was awkward, I freely admit. I'm not saying I recommend that, but I did do that. Um anyway. But he's recovered and we're still friends. We are. Um, yep, definitely. So thinking about white supremacy specifically, um you you could define it as kind of in the in the most general sense, the belief that white people are superior and therefore should have a place of dominance uh, in society and organizations. Um, and, and, and that basically that other people who aren't white, um, typically European American, should serve in some ways the, the, the purposes and the pleasures of white people. Um, in some ways you could say that this is a, America's national sin, right? Looking at the origins of our nation, and um, but it's uh, it runs deep. It runs deep. So, I, do you can you personalize it a little bit from the the big, and then I'm going to talk about some of the implicit stuff. But like, how like how do you define it? Or how would you? Or is there a story you would tell to help us kind of get start getting at it? And we're going to unpack it a little bit more, but. Just to lead off. Um, so white supremacy reminds me that I'm black every day um, and that I'm expendable. All you got to do is turn on the news. Um, man, white supremacy reminds me that I shouldn't be married to a white woman. Um, that I didn't deserve to attend an Ivy League college on scholarship. Um, but one story I can tell you is when my son gets pulled over by white cops and not doing anything, and then $7,000 later and many, many court visits, he has a felony 
that we have to get removed to a misdemeanor to get eventually taken off for something that he didn't even do. So that's that's the life. That's the life we live in over here. So it's personal. Yeah. And it's daily. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I also want to say that white supremacy has, and I want to specifically say this, I wrote this down, has poisoned my people to believe in a God that supports misogyny, homophobia, colorism, and a whole host of other isms. Kind of all kind of works together. Oh, it, it definitely. It comes from the same evil seed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so Lisa Sharon Harper, uh, we often refer to her. She's a public theologian that um, a couple years ago we went through one of her books, and she's been really helpful, but she defines... Um, kind of an aspect of white supremacy this way. She says, um, most often white supremacy is about implicit bias that favors whiteness. It's about the unconscious associations that we make in our minds before we even know that we've done it. Right? So it's like... It's, it's institutionalized. A, it's yeah. In, yeah. It's 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 in the culture, and then what happens is then it comes just in into us, yeah. right? It becomes just who we are. Um, and so, uh, a little story that I haven't told you. <laughs> Watch out now. Um, so 2016, I hadn't been reading much, and I decided, okay, I'm going to read. I'm re I really want to read this year. I committed to reading 50 books. And at the end of that year, I read my 50, and someone asked me, who was trying to sort of challenge me and help me think a little bit about these issues of, of white supremacy said, hey, look back at the, at the books you've read um, and, and see who's, who's reading them. Ooh, kind of, I like the mood lighting. This is, this is nice. You can just, you wanna, I think. They're trying to okay. make sure that they can Oh, that they can still see, see the that. screen. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. Okay, well, okay, we're fine, we're good. Yeah, they like it, all right, we, we, we got support, we got full support. So I, I look back and I go through, because I write down, because I'm a very goal-oriented person, so I write down all my books, and 49 of them. Mm. Shut up. <laughs> 49 were written by white men. One was not. And that's the book my friend chose for us to read together. And I was shocked. I'm like, I am not a white supremacist but my actions say otherwise. Because the bias, it's in me. Like when I was in seminary, like all the theology you read is from old white guys. Yep, pretty much. And so you just like, it's this mindset like, hey, if I'm gonna read a bunch of books, I should read. I'm like, oh my word, this is me. I'm the problem. So this is where we are. So it's like, what are the implicit things that you don't even, Freaking no, and that they get internalized not just in white people, but all people. Oh, everybody. I mean, even from what we read or what we're told to read as young black people, yeah, right. uh, children affect oh, so much completely. Yeah. Like, yep. I didn't find out. I, I told you before. I didn't tell you. I didn't find out I was black till I went to Dartmouth College. <laughs> <laughs> I found out real quick I was real black. 
<laughs> but didn't have all of the black knowledge yeah, right. about my people because of the trajectory of my education. Mm -hmm. I was really learning in terms of all of the white systems and I knew all the presidents and I knew uh, vice presidents, I knew the whole system right. of the of the United States, political, economic, but, but not black history. I couldn't tell you anything about black history to the extent of the white history that I knew. Right. Yep. From the white perspective, I should yep. say. So Jesus shows up and Jesus deals with these things. And a lot of times we don't see that because the lenses that we bring to the scripture, particularly folks like me, um, they, they have a particular glaze on them. So we're going to read a passage of Scripture today. Our friend Brenda Lopez is going to read Scripture. If you would welcome Brenda as she comes up. Um, and we stand around City Church as we read Scripture. It's just a chance to say, God, we're so grateful for your word. So, All right. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thanks so much, Brenda. That was great. So we're going to unpack this passage, and we're going to kind of go through some of the main points in just a bit. But, but we've we got to set up the trajectory. Because what, what starts here is this idea that Jesus says, this is his inaugural sermon, his first sermon, and he's casting vision, and there's this kind of the theme is, I have come to set free all who are oppressed. That, that's the vision. And now we're going to unpack, what does that look like? What it, so if that's his vision... How does that play itself out? What, do you, what, what did he have to do then, right? <laughs> talk to me about Samaria. You want to talk about Samaria or you want to talk about that scripture? No, let's talk about Let's go to Samaria and then we'll get there. We'll okay. get there. Be patient. Okay. All right. <laughs> Only 40 more years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my that's God. That's a James Baldwin quote. <laughs> yes. Talking about um, so Jesus had to go through Samaria. Yeah. He had to go through Samaria. And I've read the scripture over and over and over again. And I'm like, well, why did he have to go through Samaria? And I think the reason that he was taking his disciples through Samaria is because they, he wanted them to see how to deal with people and cultures that you might not typically deal with. I think it was a, a place of reconciliation. I think it was a place of forgiveness. I think it was a hard conversation that needed to happen. Um, and I feel like, and what's interesting, okay, so about Samaria, Samarians are actually Jewish people and Assyrians. 
Uh, they have a so Syrian, you're like biracial. So they're they're biracial. Okay. They have a Syrian blood in them, and so they're like the mixed. They're like the mixed Jews, you know. So they weren't, you know, they were looked down upon, and so you typically don't go to Samaria. You go around Samaria, and they would rather go around Samaria. Jewish people would rather go around Samaria and go to the go through the Jordan River as opposed to just going through Samaria. That's weird. That's a, that's, that's a lot of hate right there. That's a lot of, uh, I'm going to avoid you. Kind of sound familiar a little bit? <laughs> like building a freeway to make sure that we don't actually drive through that town? Oh, no, we wouldn't want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like there's a, um, there's a painful but yet um, freeing message that comes out of this um, and I think I told you before, I really believe that a lot of us have to go through Samaria. This is not just about white people, but we all have a Samaria that we need to go through to hit a place of reconciliation and forgiveness and just to see people for who they are. And I think that's what the message truly is. And I think white people in the United States who are racist have a Samaria that they need to go through. Which is probably all of us. Well, I yeah, mean, all white people. Of course. Um, well, all people, but in terms of this case, what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 I mean, and there's a certain irony in this passage too, right? So the, the Jews would go around Samaria. Jesus says, no, we got to go through it. And it's, it's these two dark-skinned people groups that don't like each other. And implicit in this text, it, this is a... In, in John chapter 4, and in all the, the New Testament is, there is a third racial group present. It's not explicit in the text, but they're the white people. It's the Romans. The, Romans, the, the yeah. occupiers. There, there's actually an empire that has invaded these countries and actually benefits from playing them off each other. Two different people of color playing off each other. Painfully, um, the presence of, of that picture reminds me of Oakland. Um, black people versus black people versus black people versus Mexicans. Um, Compton Mexicans versus black people and any other uh, minority. I feel like that is always the spin, is to get us to fight one another and to forget where this idea is coming from originally that has us against one another. Um, it's like we, we've drank the Kool-Aid, we've been hoodwinked to believe the nonsense um, that we need to be in opposition of one another instead of coming together with one another. Um, and that all stems, extends from white supremacy, and that's what I'm saying. These are all the bastard children of white supremacy because you have to be taught that. And when you're taught that from the time in which you come to this continent and you were forced to come to the continent, you are taught new ways to hate yourself, which is why we deal with what I was saying earlier is colorism. And the reason uh, light skin, dark skin, field, field house slave, uh, uh, house slave, you know, um, who's allowed to be in charge, um, 
that type of thing. Get the light skin black. That's going to be more palatable. That's going to be easier to look at than the dark skin black. Um, but use, use the dark skin black for the, anything that involves where you have to do labor or whatnot. Um, all that has translated into the black community into very poisonous ways um, in how we see one another. And so, yeah. Yeah, so this is, this, I mean, it's a very current story, right? The, the scriptures are very current, very um, realistic. And, and Jesus, so as he shows up, he's coming out of a long tradition, a long trajectory of saying, this stuff needs to be dealt with. Um, all the way back in the book of Exodus, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, so it's the second book in the Bible, there's, I mean, there are many things in there talking about this sort of theme, but there's this line in Exodus 22 where it says, do not mistreat or oppress the alien in your midst, the, the foreigner in your midst. And, yes. and there, there are two pieces, don't mistreat and don't oppress. And you can think about this as mistreat as that, that personal individual deed. Like, I'm going to mistreat, um, you know, this person because of whatever issue. And oppress is, I'm going to build a system mm -hmm. that is going to take advantage. Right? So it's, it's both the individual and the structural. And Jesus shows up. And again, so that's way back at the beginning. And he's, this is his tradition. This is why he says, hey, I have come to set all the oppressed free. Because that's always been God's heart, always since the book of Exodus. And then the prophets, I mean, they echo this all the time. Uh, just, just one verse out of Amos. You know, he's preaching this whole message to God's people saying, let justice roll down like rivers. Yes. And so many times in, in my experience growing up, in a more conservative, white, evangelical space, we were taught there's spirituality, and then there's justice. And they were separate. Mm -hmm. It's just not what the Bible says. Not at all. And so my, my white supremacy kept those two separate and kept race out of, the, out of the conversation. When it's actually always been in the conversation. There have always been the, these themes, and Jesus is just, in his very first sermon, is picking up on what's always been there. We've just, we've just missed it for so long. Um, so let's, let's kind of unpack that original passage, okay. right? The, the Luke 4, yep. and, and we're, we're going to leverage your, your brain power here. So in, in the passage, he says, hey, the, kind of the theme verses, we're going to set all the oppressed free. And then he, he specifically names three kinds of oppression. The first one is around money, finances. He says, um, you know, I've come to preach good news to the poor. And if you look at the statistics around poverty, which Jesus specifically said he came to address, let's, we'll take a look at this. Huh. So if you look at family net worth, this is in uh, 2021. The average white family has $250,400 as their average net worth. The average black family, 27100 Like, see a little difference there? That's crazy. Why, is that just accidental? How did that happen, Brock? Do you have time? How much time we got? <laughs> I mean, when I look at this, I see 
World War II. Where why, why, why World War II? Because that was the change in terms of home ownership. Ah, because that, that's the great generation that starts owning homes. Yes. And so Building homes, yeah. When World War II ended, there were a million black men and women who had served. A million. A million. So they all got the GI loans oh, for, the, for the mortgages, the mortgage you, assistance. Don't, don't you hope that is how it went? <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah, they didn't and get anything. Less than 1%. Less than 1% of the black GIs yes. actually got the assistance. Yes. And there was assistance not only with home ownership, there was assistance with unemployment, and there was also... Um, the, the education. Education. So, so you miss out buying homes in the 50s, so then your kids don't have mom and poms or grandma and grandma's equity to help them buy their house. Nor the education, because mm. then you could go to school, right, on the GI Bill. So, right, right. so you miss college. So instead of my grandparents having the chance to, um, or even, yeah, my grandparents, my, my mother, my aunties and whatnot having those chances, they missed out on all that. Right. Because you need home ownership. And then when you did try to buy a house, there was all redlining. So we're all the black people, brown people. Uh, we don't give loans in those particular areas. Pay higher interest rates. Definitely higher. Enough to keep you out because they know you can't afford it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So this is, so, so again, this is what the Bible says. Like we're, we're talking about the Bible. You know, I just want to remind us this. Jesus is showing up saying, look, I've come to deal with the economic issues. It's pretty stark. So that's number one. Number two is he says, I've come to set the captives free. So let's talk, let's look at incarceration. I mean, just take a guess, right? So per 100,000 people in the U.S., incarceration of whites, they're 214. They're incarcerated. This is in 2019 from the Bureau of Justice versus 1,096 African-Americans. So, school to prison pipeline, stats from the ACLU. I wrote down a couple of things. The zero tolerance discipline has resulted in black students facing disproportionately harsher punishment than white students in public schools. While black students only make up 16% of public school enrollment, they account for 42% of all students who have been suspended multiple times. This is in sharp contrast to white students who represent 51% of the public school enrollment, yet only constitute 31 students of, student, of students who serve multiple suspensions. Black students represent 31% of school-related arrests. Black students are suspended and expelled three times more than white students. And students suspended or expelled for discretionary violence, a discretionary violence, violation, excuse me, are nearly three times more likely to be in contact with the juvenile justice system the following year. Mm -hmm. So. Get kicked out of school this year, going yeah, to juvie next year. Exactly. So it goes straight in. suspension, expulsion. You, you set up for the just the um, the system right. already. Yeah, and and this is what Jesus came to say. Like, I came to break this system. I came to break this. The third thing in that inaugural sermon 
about oppression, Jesus says, is I've come to heal the blind. So he's, I've come to deal with the, with healthcare issues. Mm. All right, and so, I mean, look at the stats. So just, I mean, he, we just picked one of many, but deaths before age one per 1,000 uh, people in the U.S. So for whites, 4.6, for blacks, 11 twice it's twice as high it's like these kids are dying before age one poor child care prenatal care intentional in certain states and there's been a recent movement with um black women to um they've started increasing the amount of doulas uh that we're training mm. um to help with this number. To help, yeah. help with this right. number so that we're actually doing the work ourselves yeah. Um, yeah. instead of entrusting it to someone else. Yeah. My, my wife was super impacted. My wife's a physician, and she was super impacted by a book called Medical Apartheid, tracking the history in the U.S. of how the medical system has mistreated, misused, and completely taken advantage of people of color. And I mean, it's just, it's just history. But of course, you're not taught this. And we, we pretend it's not there. But, but this is not a statistic from the way gone past. This is 2019. This is when, you know, kind of some of the most recent statistics are. Right? This is now. And Jesus is saying, these are the things that I have come to address. And so we, we come to this Savior and we say, Savior, what, what do we do? How do we... How do we think in new ways? How do we address these issues? This, you know, there's this cancer within our culture and within ourselves. Um, a theologian that uh, that Brock and I have, have talked some about and read is a guy named James Cohn. Do you want to read it? Or you want me to read it? I'll read it. Okay. <laughs> When we encounter the crucified Christ today, he is a humiliated black Christ, a lynched black body. Christ is black, not because black theology said it. Christ is made black through God's loving solidarity with lynched black bodies and divine judgment against the demonic forces of white supremacy. Like a black naked body swinging on a lynching tree, the cross of Christ was an utterly offensive affair, obscene in the original sense of the word, subjecting, subjecting the victim to utmost indignity. James Cone, the cross and the lynching tree. So that's our, that's our savior, right? If you think about the cross, right? It, it makes sense, it actually looks like a lynching tree. He's, he's hanging there and he's not white skinned, he's dark skinned. And he's showing solidarity. He's saying, I have come for the poor, for the blind, for the incarcerated. This, this, is, this is who I am. And we're all invited to come and know this Christ. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So good. Um, I just think that Jesus' first sermon was overlooked 
I don't think people had the revelation um, that was necessary. They were looking for something different. They were looking for him to come in differently, not on a donkey. They were looking for something else. And I think the last thing they were looking for was somebody was this to come in low as opposed to coming in high. And I think that's what the gospel draws us back to, is that we have to honor the low places. And we have to have communion with them because, in essence, we are all low. Um, so, Barack, let's, let's move into a little uh, Q&A here, just a little podcasty. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, this is how we're going to sort of wrap up. A lot of times we do this around City Church where we kind of do interviews and stuff, but, but now we get to interview each other, which may not go as well for me. <laughs> well, let's see, let's see. <laughs> but so tell me how, like, your name is pretty cool. I Bar think so. Barack Bomani. I chose it. What, what do you mean you chose it? I changed my name. You changed your name? I did, I did. Tell I us about that. Well... Legally, you changed your name. I, legally, I changed my name. Um, I had a moment, some moments, and I got to a place where I know I needed to make some changes and went through a couple of processes. One of them was the Enneagram pro process, um, where it has you look at your life a little differently. And so during that process, I, I realized my essence is I love worship. I'm a worship leader at City Church of Compton, and I love worship. I've always loved worship. I think it's the thing that has kept me alive through all this nonsense in the world um, is my ability to surrender to God on the drop of a dime. Um, and so Barak means to fall down and to worship God. And Bomani is um, it's an African word that means warrior. And so that's how I fight. I fight through my worship. I fight through my time with God. That's how I'm able to deal with the craziness, with all of the isms, um, with all the hatred in the world. I have to go back to that place of worship and intimacy and refocus I have to create spaces of forgiveness before people come near me because if I don't, they're just going to get an explosion of fear and resentment and judgment. And I don't want to be that person for black people, white people, anybody. I want to be a place where people can come. And so changing my name was huge because it allowed me to, t it, like Paul, it's like when you have that moment, Saul, you have that moment, you're like, I know I need to be Paul. Um, and it wasn't that my previous life was so poor, but it was just like my new life just became more crystallized. Thanks. Yep. So I had a question for you. Let's see here. Why do you give your family's money to BIPOC organizations? particularly black 
um, organizations? Yeah. Um, Too so, personal? No. Okay. I mean, sure, it's fine. Um, I mean, a lot of reasons, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some white guilt in there. Um, but, uh, you know, if, so after 2016, you know, the 50 bucks and realizing I'm the problem, um, you know, just started going on a journey. My wife, Katie, who you guys know, she's, she's always been on the cutting edge of actually thinking about race and justice. And I think I've always just been scared because uh, it just seems so big, and I always knew that there were ghosts in the closet. And uh, so, as it turns out, my family, um, I grew up in the South, in Virginia, and my family lost a lot of wealth in the Civil War, a lot of property. Turns out, reading the family history, that property was human beings. That my family owned many enslaved people. They, they, they were enslavers. This, this, is my, this is my family line. And, I, you know, so I, I didn't do that, and yet, I mean, my grandparents went to college. They had money. They had homes. Um, and I realized, you know, the, the system that my, my family, my blood created has benefited me immensely, including financially. And... I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I, 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 I don't, there's not a number like, oh, if I just did this, then it would be better. Um, but I want to invest in, Barack leads an organization called Unearth and Empower. Um, I want to invest in organizations like what Barack is doing because um, he's helping kids get educated and, and, it's, it's a way for me um, ultimately to follow Jesus and what he teaches and to try to do, to be part of some of the repair. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. That's No, that's good. That's good. That's honest. That's what we need, more yeah. just honesty. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure there are a thousand other weird motivations in there too, so... Um, tell us, uh, wh where, where do you live? I currently live in Compton. I'm from Oakland, California. Well, oh, why do you live in Compton? On you're, purpose. You're, you're like a fancy Ivy Leaguer. On purpose, you know, I wanted to go get my white boy degree and bring it back to the hood. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you, that's how you move power around. That's what you did. All right. Uh -huh. All right. Did you hear that? That's how you move power around. He, this man intentionally moved into the city of Compton, bought a home. Yep, bought a home, my beautiful wife. And live in the city of Compton. What do you, what do, you do there? Just tell us. Oh, we just want, yeah, just we unearth and empower people. So we believe <laughs> that there is. I like that. 
Yeah, we do. We believe that there's goodness inside of everybody, and it's our job as human beings to come alongside and just help unearth and empower them to realize the greatness that's inside of them already. We don't believe in pouring stuff into people. We believe in release, helping people release things so that they can see the greatness because we believe that there's Christ in everybody. Boom. Bam. Right. Damn. All right. Your turn. Um, right. One more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do you interact with white people who are comfortable with racism? <laughs> I mean, was there another one that you had? That's the one. <laughs> the most uncomfortable. Let's go through Samaria. I know. That's <laughs> right. It's... So it's easier if I don't know them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, can, you know, you can, I feel I can be just more directly offensive and say, you know, I don't appreciate that. Um, or that's not my experience. Um, you know, I just, it's so hard with family. You know, and, and in, in some church settings where I'm with other white pastors, and I don't, I don't think I do a great job, you know, but it's like how, like, I, I mean, I just find myself, like people will say, you know, I mean, sometimes, so, you know, somebody will say something that's just, wrong and you're like that's wrong but I'm not fast enough to know why that's wrong or the appropriate way to and so I'll try to like hold it and maybe maybe bring it up again after I've thought about it but then sometimes the moment passes and so I never do I mean some and sometimes like on occasions I'll just blurt and then a fight ensues and people get pissed and, mm -hmm. and, so, and, and maybe that's the right way but then I find like I, I say mean things to people, and so yeah. then I become part of the problem because I haven't done enough work on my own. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, where, yeah. where I'm not like just like I'm grounded, and so I can appropriately confront. You know, who you. wants to be grounded? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no. But then the problem is when I say something stupid to them that really is just like mean spirited and and mm -hmm. and not helpful yeah yeah then they turn in and make it about that when it should be about no about the issue you're being racist and this is not okay yeah and so and so then sometimes i like well, their kids present you know so i think well <laughs> shucks um <laughs> Darn I, it. you know i so i don't know i feel i, I don't know yeah. talk to me um <laughs> Um, what would you have me do? And, and that's, that's, like me. That. that's the white guy trying to fix it. Like, give me something to do to fix it. Like, quick answer. And, and, I and then think, we'll be good, right? I, right. I think, I, think you, I think you guys do want an answer all the time I for know. something. I do. Y'all want I order. Do. Everything's black and white, yeah. red or blue. And like, it's the same thing. It's that dualistic mindset, right? That we all I get know. sucked into. It's got to be this way or that way. And if you don't believe this, then you suck. You know, that's yeah. we got to get away from that. So but I think what what I would have us all do, <laughs> what I would have us all do is to continue to have conversations like these um, and to push yourself to uncomfortable places. Um, 
like I said earlier, I think it's important for us to go through Samaria. I think mm-hmm. you got to deal with your stuff, uh, whether that's whatever ism that you got going on. If you have an ism, um, mm-hmm. I know, you know, I didn't used to think favorably of white people. You know, growing up, I grew up in a family where white people done some really horrible things to my family members when I was yay big and before. And so we just, it's, it's hard to include that into your life. You have to unlearn some ways and then relearn them. And I think that's the process that we all should be in, right? And we should all be placing ourselves in situations that require us to think more of others than ourselves. 